Well, hey, Northside family, good to be with you this weekend, and thanks for tuning in. No matter when you're watching this, I want to welcome you. My name's Nate, one of the pastors, and as Sam said at the beginning of this service, it has been an incredible week of God moving in the life of his church, and that's why we're even doing this series through the book of Acts called An Unstoppable Force, because that is what the kingdom of God is. It is unstoppable, and uh, this last weekend when I had a chance to do some of the baptisms, to hear the stories and to hear one a lady who got baptized with her friend who had been friends for 50 years and they got to celebrate this moment of joining Christ together and this is the beauty of God's kingdom it doesn't matter how old you are or how young you are everybody matters to Christ everybody is invited to be a part of his kingdom and Jesus calls us to respond with our heart and our lives to say Jesus I'm going to follow you matter of fact I was thinking about uh, just in the midst of the chaos in the midst of the crazy of life, how good Jesus still is. And I started reflecting this week, and uh, one of those passages uh, in the book of Romans, Romans chapter 8, came to mind where the Apostle Paul just says this. He just pours out his heart. Here he is, life is not going well. He's been persecuted for following Jesus, he's been in prison for following Jesus. And I just want to remind of his, of his words in Romans chapter 8, verses 38 through 39. And I just want us just to listen to what he says and what he reminds us because he is experiencing the unstoppable force, the kingdom of God. And listen to what he writes in Romans chapter 8. He says, For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. What he's saying is this, you cannot stop the love of God no matter what we're going through, no matter what we're facing. And I don't know what you're facing right now as you watch this, as we're about ready to open God's word, but just know this, there is nothing that can stop the love of God from holding you together. And I just want us to, to have our minds and our hearts wrapped around this as we continue in our second week of an unstoppable force, the DNA of a dangerous church, because what Jesus was doing on his time and what he's doing now through the power of the Holy Spirit was he was waking up his disciples. He was waking them up to the idea of the kingdom of God. The kingdom of heaven has come and it is here and it is now. And that he had come to life again after being nailed to the cross, conquering sin and death. He was resurrected and now he is the king of the world. That he is ruling and reigning. We don't have to wait for one day. We don't have to wait for another king. He is here to rule and reign and he is waking up his disciples. And we asked this question last week because it's a question we're having to wake up to is this. If we, you and I could never gather again as the church, what would it look like for you and I to be followers of Jesus? I mean, if we could never be in this building together again, if we could never, you know, kind of worship openly. Matter of fact, the fastest growing church right now in the world is a church that cannot openly gather. It's the church in China. This is what's happening. God is moving when he's going, even when you can't gather, I am moving in unprecedented ways. Because God is a God who says you cannot stop the movement of his kingdom. 
Matter of fact, this week, it's been hard to wake up a little bit uh, as school has come in because basically we've had summer for the last five months. I mean, we had e-learning for a couple of months there. So we've had summer for the last five months. You know, okay, today we're going to do the work and then we'd miss it and we'd make it up and all this other stuff. And then now, boy, it is go time. And uh, we got two kids in school now doing stuff and we're running around to different schools. And boy, I tell you, it's hard to wake up now. I'm like, woo! And, and we're getting ready to, you know, even uh, this week, I'm like, all right, we've got to set the alarm a little bit earlier because I'm hitting snooze more and we're waking up to a new reality. Some of you, uh, you know, you're waking up to the new reality that college football will not be the same this year. Matter of fact, we've never had so many grown men stop in our church office this week and just openly weep. Me being one of them because, you know, it's not going to look the same. It's not going to feel the same this fall. Harvest homecoming and, ah, what are we going to do without those fried donuts and everything else? And we're losing our minds. And yet in the midst of all the chaos, God's kingdom continues to come to earth. Jesus is still king. The only thing is this, Jesus and his kingdom comes to the earth in a way that the disciples did not see it coming. And it's working in our life now in a way that we maybe not expect it or see it, but God is at work. He is an unstoppable force. And we get to join him in his work in the movement of the Holy Spirit. See, this is what's amazing is this. God was waking up the world when he sent Jesus. And not only when he sent Jesus, when Jesus died for the sins of humanity, all the disciples, everybody thought it was over. Everybody thought, no, that's not an unstoppable force. It is a very stoppable force. And we thought he was the savior, but Rome killed him. Just like they've killed all the other people who were bringing a different message. Except when he rose again, he brought a new world with him. See, what I want us to wrap our minds around today is this idea that Jesus is king. This is why there's an unstoppable force in the world. This is why we can have hope in the midst of despair. This is why even when the underground church in China is thriving, it's because Jesus is king. Now, let's be honest. We don't hear that phrase a lot. We don't hear Jesus is king. A lot of times this is what we hear. Cash is king, especially right now. You don't know what the market's going to do. You don't know what everything else is going to go. And so what we say all the time right now is cash is king. Cash is king. And the reason why we say is because, boy, if I can have some cash, woo, now I can have hope. Jesus says, no, cash isn't king. I'm king. And I'm your hope. And I'm your future. And I'm your life. And I'm the one who will lead you. I am the one who's an unstoppable force. And here's the thing we learn about Jesus being king. This king has a kingdom. See, oftentimes, especially when we celebrate those baptisms, here's what can happen. And I'm talking to my eight-year-old right now about being baptized, and we're having these conversations. And what I want to make sure Lily understands is this. It's not just that you would accept Jesus to be your Savior for your sins and what you've done wrong, and just go, okay, God, I'm sorry. Please save me for myself. What we're trying to help her understand is this. It's not just that he is your Savior. He is your King, which means this. You listen to him, and you listen to him even more than you listen to your mom and dad. You follow the one who saves you. You obey his ways. You walk in his ways. See, our king has a kingdom, which means he has a way for you and I to live. You know, in our country, we talk all the time. Actually, it's a pretty big conversation right now. We have a constitution. 
We have a Bill of Rights. We have the Declaration of Independence. And, it, and if you don't know what any of that is, just you know, take a couple hours and watch Hamilton on Disney Plus. It'll get you up to speed real quick, you know. Alexander Hamilton. Yeah, and, and, and my kids watching, all this other stuff's going on. And we know very well, we know our history and we know how we work as a country and we'll argue over the Constitution. But did you know that Jesus, when he came here, he didn't just become king, he was introducing us to his Constitution. He was introducing us to his manifesto, his way of life. He says this, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Nobody comes to the Father except through me. See, Jesus isn't just the way to the Father. Jesus is the way that the Father has come to us. The question for you and I today is this, do we know Jesus not just as Savior, but do you and I know him as our King? Is our allegiance to him above everything else? Because this is what Jesus was even teaching the disciples. If you have your Bibles open to Acts chapter 1, he begins to teach them and remind them about the ways of the kingdom. See, it's not a question of will just Jesus be king. What you and I have to realize today is this. Someone or something is already king in our life today. And what we're going to have to wrestle with today is this. Is Jesus the king or is something else king? This is why it says in Acts chapter 1 verse 3, Luke is writing to Theophilus and he writes to him in verse 3. And he says, hey, listen, Theophilus, after Jesus' suffering... Which that's already a clue. What kind of king suffers? Our king does. And here's why. He showed himself to these men and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. That not only did he die for their sins, but he had been resurrected. That he had conquered sin. That he had conquered death. He had conquered our shame and our sin. And he appeared to them over a 40-day period and spoke about the kingdom of God. He didn't just hang out, man, and go fishing. He taught him about the kingdom of God. He taught him about his new way. And it says on one occasion, while he was eating with them, which again, I love about Jesus, he gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. And then listen to their response. So when they met together, they, all of the disciples, asked Jesus, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? Can you hear that they're still asleep? Can you hear that they haven't woke up yet to the kingdom of God? In that moment, if I'm Jesus, you know, we use the phrase here in Southern Indiana that when somebody has just lost their mind or they just ask the wrong question at the wrong time. Anybody ever ask you the wrong question or say the wrong comment at the right, uh, the wrong time to you? And you know what our phrase around here is? Instead of like getting mad, we just go, bless their heart. And it's our code word for you are a moron, right? And so you just, when you hear that word, I just bless their heart. And in that moment, I can just imagine Jesus getting asked this question. Here he is. He's got nail scarred hands. He's resurrected. He's come back from the dead. He's gone to the cross. He's paid for sin and shame and debt. He's paid, taken away our sins. And all they can ask about is, Lord, at this time, are you going to restore the kingdom to us? Because here was why, for the last 90 years, Israel and all of the Jewish nation was under the Roman oppression. Rome had made them slaves to build their cities. 
Rome had taken control, had taken their power away, had taxed them through the nose, was making profit off them. And then if they challenged Rome, what they would do is this, they would crucify them. So what do you do in a nation, in a civilization that holds you captive and oppressed and will kill you if you challenge them? You cry out to God. And when Jesus begins to introduce his kingdom, all they can think about is, yeah, 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 Jesus, when are you going to give us power again? When are you going to give us control again? One of my favorite uh, phrases, I don't know what pastor it originated with. I've heard this quoted a bunch of different times. But one of my favorite phrases that I've heard about Jesus is this. Jesus didn't come to take sides. Jesus came to take over. See, Jesus isn't just on your side or my side or that side or a blue side or a red side or a purple side or that side. Jesus came to take over. See, we have a king and our king has a kingdom, but have you and I awakened to his kingdom? See, this is what we're doing today and next weekend. We're taking a couple weeks to look at our values of Christ's community and calling that we're looking at this idea this weekend, how Christ is our king. Next week, we're gonna look at how Christ empowers us. We have a king who empowers us. This isn't just up to you and I. He gives us his power by the Holy Spirit to live in his kingdom because here's the reality we face as followers of Jesus. We will become a dangerous church if Christ is our king. We will become an unstoppable church if Christ is our king. But if Christ is not our king as the church, we will become a danger as a church. You read through some of history, and now as Christians today, we have to apologize for the Crusades because that was not of God. And we have to apologize for scandals that have happened with pastors over the last hundred plus years where they've abused power and money and all sorts of things. And we said, because what happened was this, Christ was no longer king. And so the church became a danger. Matter of fact, we're going to find in the book of Acts, even at the early church, people began to posture and take power and God had to call it out. And they were an absolute embarrassment. See, this is what we have to get used to, this idea that Christ is not just our king, but Christ has a kingdom. And Jesus' kingdom is not of this world. Jesus' kingdom is totally different from this world. Matter of fact, uh, towards the end of his life, his disciples who were missing it, they were missing again even when he was resurrected, but they were missing it even when he was alive and he was teaching them about the kingdom of God. They would say stuff like this. Hey, Jesus, when you come into power, because Jesus would talk about becoming king, they would say, Jesus, would you basically make me your vice president? Can I sit on your left or to your right? Can I be the secretary of defense? Can I be in your cabinet? Can, can I be right next to you? And listen to what Jesus tells them. He's going, no, 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 fellas, you don't understand what you're asking. Because they weren't awake yet to the kingdom of God. Oh, Jesus was talking about it. But it hadn't sunk in yet. And matter of fact, one time when they were arguing about who is the greatest in the kingdom, right? They're, they're talking about who's going to be the greatest when Jesus is overthrowing Rome and all this other stuff. And we're sitting in the palaces and they're talking about who's going to be the greatest. Jesus gathers all the boys up. He's like, come on, come on, take an ease, fellas. You, you guys have missed it. And he gathers them all together. And listen to what he tells them in Mark chapter 10, verse 42. It said, Jesus called them together. He calls a timeout. He goes, fellas, join around, join around. 
He says, you know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles, talking about the Roman Empire all around them, they lord it over them. They rule with this iron fist. And he says, these high officials exercise authority over them. It's all about the power game. But listen to what Jesus says. Not so with you. How are we supposed to lead then, Jesus? Aren't we supposed to get in control? That's how you get stuff done, isn't it? You get in control, you get the upper hand, you get the high ground, and now you force everybody to do what you want. And Jesus says, not so with you. And this isn't just about leadership position. This is about us as Christians, about the community, about the church, about the kingdom of God. He says, not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. Jesus says, it's not wrong to want to be great, but here's how you become great. You become a servant. And not only that, he says this, and if whoever wants to become first must be a slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. See, Jesus was waking the disciples up to this new way of life. Matter of fact, in the business world, there's all sorts of books being written right now. And, uh, and it's been uh, talked about and been pretty popular for the last 20, 30 years. It's this concept of servant leadership. Even secular companies are picking up on this going, maybe the CEO, maybe the leader, maybe the board, maybe all this other stuff. Maybe it's not about power and control. Maybe the job is this. If you want to see your company, if you want to see your family thrive, you should be servants as leaders. And so the big phrase has been coined, servant leadership, which Jesus just calls leadership. He goes, this is just what it means to be a leader. You don't lord it over people. You don't hold people hostage. You don't rule with an iron fist, man. You serve people. And you become a servant of all. Now, some are like, Jesus, I don't like the sound of that. Matter of fact, I don't even know how to do that. And he goes, I know. And that is why the Son of Man has come not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. See, Jesus isn't asking you and I to wake up on our own to his kingdom. He's not asking you and I to get our lives together, to just say, okay, now I'm going to get serious. What Jesus says is this, will you let the son of man, the king of the universe, serve you with my grace. Serve you with my mercy. Serve you with my hope. See, that's the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is this peace. This kingdom of God is a, a king who's come to serve us. This is what humility looks like. This is why Philippians chapter two, for a lot of people, it's become a life chapter because it explains the way of Jesus, which is so contrary to the world. It's so different from the world. See, Jesus, this is what he was doing with his disciples all the time. He was waking them up to the reality of the kingdom of God. He was calling them into a new life. He's calling you and I to live a different way, a way that is opposite from the world. And sometimes he has to call a time out with us like he's doing with the disciples and say, I need to explain to you again the kingdom of God. This is so different than the world, than the Gentiles, than any other empire. 
Matter of fact, this week, uh, my wife, Ruthie, she called a family meeting and uh, typically do our prayer and kind of Bible reading at night together. And uh, she said, all right, guys, family meeting. And I'll be honest, a lot of times, like, I can't even tell you the last family meeting we've had uh, where, you know, some business, you know, issue needed to be addressed. I'm like, uh-oh, you know, you know what, what's going on? And uh, Ruthie, she's, you know, meek and mild and quiet. And so I'm like, man, if she's going to call a meeting, we better listen. And she gathered us all up this week. And this is what she said. She goes, okay, everybody, we need to have a family meeting before we pray and before we read tonight. And uh, she said, here it is. And she went around each one of us in the circle. She said, guys, this week, you know, Zeke and Carter, you guys, you know, you took your clothes and they were all inside out in the hamper. And Lily, your clothes, you know, we're starting school this week and, you know, changed, you know, outfits and your clothes were inside out. And I'm like, children, you got to get your act together. You got to get your act together. And then she said, and for you, Nathan. I'm like, uh-oh. You know, she said, I counted. I pulled 14 shirts out of our hamper, 12 of which were inside out. Which to then I responded, at least they were in the hamper. And that did not go well. That did not, that did not suffice. And we joked about it. And what she was really saying is this. Hey, guys, there's a way we act. And you're actually causing more work for mom. Can you help me out here? See, this is why Jesus takes his time and he talks with his disciples. This is why he takes his time and acts right after he's been resurrected. And he takes this time to explain the kingdom of God because we don't get it. It is not of this world. It is a totally different way of living. This is why we need Jesus so bad. He's the only one who can lead us in the life that God created and made us for. Matter of fact, if you want to read more about Jesus' manifesto, if you're going, Nate, what's kind of Jesus' constitution? I want to encourage you, even challenge you to go read Matthew chapters 5 through 7. Because Jesus lays out on the Sermon on the Mount, what does it look like to live the kingdom of God? I mean, listen to what he says, and some of these things will ring true to you. In Matthew chapter 6, when he talks about the Lord's Prayer in verse 10, he says this. He says, here's how you should pray. He says, you should pray like this, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. And then you should pray this, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. See, the kingdom of God should shape our prayer life. God, today, would your kingdom come in our life? God, today, would your will be done here? God, have your way. Not only that, he begins to say this. He talks about our worries and our fears later on in in chapter six. He goes, I know you're afraid. I know you're afraid of what you're gonna eat, what you're gonna wear, and we're afraid of all this other stuff. And he says this in Matthew chapter six, verse 33. He says, but more than worrying, he says this, seek first his kingdom. Be about his kingdom and his righteousness. And then Jesus says this, and all these things will be given to you as well. Jesus knows you and I have needs, but he knows this. More than clothes and more than food, what Jesus knows is this. We need a new kingdom, a hope in the midst of our broken world. Matter of fact, even in Matthew chapter 18, he says this. He goes, I tell you the truth, unless you change and become like little children, you'll never even enter the kingdom of heaven. He says, you'll never even begin to experience until you begin to humble yourself and go, oh, Christ is king. He goes, you'll actually never begin to experience the kingdom of heaven. 
See, it's not just will you accept him as your savior. It's not just will you let him take your sins away. It's will you now begin to follow and obey the king. Will you begin to turn your life, not turn your life around, but to say, no, God, I'm going to follow you. You have served me. You have changed me. Now, some of you are going, Nate, that sounds good, but that doesn't work in today's society. That's even kind of some made up stuff. But you know what you find out in the life of Jesus? He went toe to toe with the powers of the world. Matter of fact, in John, you see this happening in the book of John, right at his death, He comes face to face with Pilate, the one who can hold his life, the one who can kill him or not kill him. Pretty powerful dude. And Jesus comes face to face with him. But here's the thing. Jesus knew that God had made him king and that his kingdom would last forever. And listen to what he says in John chapter 18, verse 35. He begins to talk with Pilate. And he says this, he's asking questions and Pilate says, it's your people and your chief priests who have handed you over to me. What is it that you have done? And Jesus says this to him. He says, my kingdom is not of this world. If it were, my servants would fight to prevent my arrest by the Jews. But now my kingdom is from another place. We've got to listen to the words of Jesus. See, this is why too many times we're looking to different things to save us in this world only to get it and it never satisfied. Jesus says, no, my kingdom's not even of this world. It's not of this place. You are a king then, said Pilate. And Jesus answered, you are right in saying I am a king. In fact, for this reason I was born, for this I came into the world to testify to truth. And everyone on the side of truth listens to me. Well, what is truth? Pilate asked. And with this, he went out again to the Jews and said, I find no basis for a charge against him. See, Jesus knew and had confidence in who God was, who he was, and the kingdom that God had brought to this earth. See, oftentimes we say the kingdom of God, and sometimes it can rattle our mind a little bit because we're only stuck living and knowing what's in this world. Matter of fact, I had somebody explain the kingdom of God this way and how the kingdom of heaven invades earth. And uh, it's the picture of this golf ball. I think we got a picture of this golf ball. We'll put it up there. And uh, this this is one illustration I had somebody give me about understanding the kingdom of God because the disciples hadn't woke up to the reality of Jesus. And this is one easy way is this, to to kind of just wrap our mind around it is this, that the earth and the universe and everything around us is the pink middle of the golf ball. But here's the deal. It's all of the golf ball outside of it that encapsulates all of creation. And I heard somebody put it this way. This is the picture of the kingdom of God invading this place. Now here's the deal for you and I. God didn't just send Jesus into outer space at the ascension. God took Jesus back to heaven to rule and to reign over the universe. The question for you and I today is this, have we allowed God to wake us up to the reality that he is a part of everything and calls to be king in everything in our life? A couple of years ago, I talked and used this illustration called God in a Box. And it's this real simple illustration 
that oftentimes, if we don't understand, can lead us astray. And this is what I talk about. Really, this is a little bit of the age of enlightenment where life sometimes can become too complex. And so what we do is this, we put everything into a box. We go, God, kind of, you know, my relationship with you, well, you're over here and my, and my politics, they're over there and, and my money's over there and my identity's over here and my work life's over here and my relationships, my dating, my marriage, all this other stuff, it's over here. My family, it's over here. And then my hobby's over here. And oftentimes, even as Christians, sometimes if we're not careful, this is how we'll live our life. This is what the disciples were saying when they said, Jesus, are you now going to restore the kingdom to Israel? What they're saying is this, that's great, you're king, but what about my politics? When do I get to be in charge? And the tension you and I face of being Christians in this world is this, are we going to leave God in a box or is God going to become the box. Revelation chapter three, verse 20, Jesus says this to the church. He said, I stand at the door and I knock and whoever lets me in, I will come in and I will eat with them. I will feast with them. What Jesus is saying is this, will you let me be king of your politics? Will you let me be king of your money? Will you let me be king of your work? Will you let me be king of your hobbies? Not that you can't have hobbies, but do your hobbies glorify God? Will you let me be king of your family? Will you let me be king of your relationships? See, it's not will you have it, will Jesus be your king? It's what already is your king. And will you turn that over to Jesus and let him be king? And ultimately, is Jesus your identity? See, this is why church can become very confusing for people or even becoming a Christian can be confusing because we just leave Jesus and God in a box instead of letting God take over the box. Jesus didn't come to take sides. He came to take over. He came to lead us into his kingdom that would have no end. He came to give us life. This is what the resurrection is all about. It changes everything. Listen how Jesus responds to their question when they ask, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? Instead of saying, bless their heart, you know what he says? Verse 7, it's not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And after he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes and a cloud hid him from their sight. They were looking intently up into the sky as he was going when suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them, angels, and they said, men of Galilee, why do you stand here looking into the sky? The same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. Here's what's great about Jesus. He doesn't give up on the disciples. He doesn't go, you're asking the wrong questions. I should have never gone to the cross. He says, no. He says, if you want to experience the life that you really desire, you need to know this. It's not for you to know the times or the dates the Father has set by his authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. See, the disciples still hadn't become awake 
to the idea that Jesus was their authority and Jesus was their power. This is why the fruit of the Spirit also says self-control. Because my goodness, we need it, don't we? This is why we need Jesus. We can't control ourselves. We can't control some of the sin habits. And we're going, Jesus, I'm trying to get together. And he goes, oh, no, no, It's not for you to control, man. This is for you to receive power. See, too many times, here's what happens. We want to get authority and we want to achieve power. And Jesus says, no, we are called to live under authority and receive power. See, the kingdom is upside down. The way of Jesus is so different than this world. How does Jesus come about then? How do we begin to engage this kingdom? How do we begin to live as people? How do we begin to become awake to this idea that God has called us into as the kingdom? How do we begin this being a part of this unstoppable force? Here's what we got to understand and do as the kingdom of God is this. The kingdom comes by conversation, not control. Did you realize what Jesus was doing here in Acts chapter 1? He was having a conversation for 40 days with the disciples. Matter of fact, every single high point in the life of Jesus, the stories that we love about the woman at the well or the woman caught in adultery or Zacchaeus or the rich young ruler or Pharisees who have no idea what they're dealing and yet Jesus would still sit and have dinner. Do you realize the kingdom of God came through conversation? See, our problem today is this. You can't have a conversation anymore, can you? You get canceled. Right? As soon as you say something, eh, you're out, right? Whammy, you know, you're just gone. You're just cut off. Jesus says, no, the kingdom of God always comes through conversation. See, that's why he had a conversation with the woman at at the well. Her life was full of failure. She had just been turned away from one guy to the next, used and abused. And you know what Jesus says to her? He doesn't start by saying, you ought to really get your life together. See, that's that control. You know what he says? Will you get me some water? Which leads ultimately to him saying, because I'm the living water. See, the kingdom of God calls you and I to have conversations with people who don't yet follow Jesus. See, this is why our mission exists, to connect unconnected people to Jesus Christ. But we've got to live out the ways of the kingdom of God. See, too many times what's happening now is this. It's even happening in the life of Christians. If you're not on my side, I don't want to have anything to do with you. Jesus says, I want to go to those who don't want to have anything to do with me. He has a different kingdom. Here's what we need to understand about Jesus. He didn't come to set up a country. That's what they were asking. Lord, are you now going to restore the kingdom to Israel? He goes, I didn't come to set up a country. I came to set up my kingdom and the kingdom of God has no borders. The kingdom of God is not limited to any country. The kingdom of God is not limited to just one race or any race. It is for the human race. The kingdom of God doesn't say, well, it's only for these sins, not those sins. The kingdom of God says, I've come to rescue and redeem you from all sin." And this is the conversation Jesus invites us into. This is what he's trying to open and awaken the disciples to and what he's trying to open and awaken us to today. But he knows the kingdom of God only comes by conversation, not control. See, we've got to trust Jesus with the control and step in to conversation with this world. Because this is what we also find. 
And this is why it's so important because the kingdom of God comes through love to all people. It's through love. Even when they miss Jesus face to face, sometimes we use that excuse all the time. We go, you know, I'd be a much better Christian if Jesus was my life group leader. I mean, I love the leaders here at the church and Nate, you're, you know, you're a good dude or whatever, but man, I, I, think, I think I could really get my life together if Jesus was here physically, face to face, be my life group leader. This is what we find in the life of the disciples. They had Jesus as a life group leader and they were still falling on their face because you and I need the love of Jesus more than anything else. See, this is what makes the kingdom of God unstoppable is that the love of God transcends all things. This is why Jesus in his manifesto says this, to love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. The kingdom of God, it's not of this world. And the kingdom of God is only accessible to you and I when Christ becomes our king. See, we have the king of the world, the creator of the world who came and he suffered and he died and he rose again and he introduces and brings us in to the kingdom. This is why when we see the ascension here, when he goes back into heaven, for some of us, we go, what happened? You know, you just started levitating, you know, going out of here. What happened was this, he returned to heaven because now he's ruling and reigning over all of the universe and he sends the Holy Spirit we're gonna talk about next week, which is the presence of God to be with us and to lead us and to love us into all things. You and I don't have to have the kingdom of God all figured out. We just need to let Christ be our king. And then something interesting happens. Luke, the author of Acts, listen what he says. I love what he says in Luke chapter 24 when he's talking about the ascension. He wraps up the book of Luke in verse 50 saying this. When he, Jesus, had led them out to the vicinity of Bethany, he lifted up his hands and he blessed them. And while he was blessing them, he left them and was taken up into heaven. Then they worshiped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy. And they stayed continually at the temple, praising God. Luke says this, you need to know that your king who came into this world, who lived a perfect life that you and I couldn't live, who died for our sins to take away the sins of the world, who was resurrected, who exhausted death, who overcame sin, death, everything, and now is ruling and reigning. This is the last thing he does. He blesses them. He blesses them. Your king returns to heaven to rule over the entire world, not saying, I tried, God. I gave him my best shot. But he returns to heaven. And as he's returning to rule and to reign over the world like he is right now, he blesses them. Do you know that your king sees you and he blesses you with his grace and his mercy? He's not asking you to earn it. He's not asking you to achieve it. Did you hear what he said about the Holy Spirit? Receive it. Receive it. 
I think too many times I even find myself stuck going, I got to achieve, I got to earn, I got to climb the mountain, I got to accomplish this. And Jesus says, my kingdom is a kingdom you receive. And when you receive it, it awakens you to the glory and the goodness of our creator, Jesus. Got a question for some of you today. Where is God waking you up to his kingdom? Where is he beginning to turn and realign and reorganize your life? Because I don't know about you, but I feel a little bit disoriented right now in life. The schedule I used to have, it's gone. The rhythms, I mean, I'm preaching to a daggone camera with nobody in the room. This is weird. And in the midst of the weirdness, God is awakening my soul to his kingdom. See, his kingdom is an unstoppable force. You can close countries from talking about Jesus, but you will never close Jesus from talking to countries. The power of the Holy Spirit goes beyond all things. And I want to invite you, just like the 31 who got baptized last week, if maybe you've never received the kingdom, your life, man, you've been just been spinning. As a matter of fact, that, why, that might be why you're stuck right now in life. You've just only been building for your kingdom. You've only been living for another king other than Jesus. And today you're going, I need to receive that kingdom. And if that's you, if you're going, no, I'm ready to receive that. I'm gonna walk in a new direction. I just wanna invite you simply to do this. Just text the word accept to 41411. Michael Watson and our team, everybody, they're gonna love to follow up with you. Maybe if you've, you, maybe you've accepted the kingdom, but you've not gotten baptized, you've not taken that first step and they say, no, I'm gonna start living in the way of this kingdom. I wanna invite you just to text in, to begin the conversation. Because Jesus sees us. He's ruling and reigning right now. And all he does is he asks us to receive his kingdom and him as our king. Here in a moment, we're gonna take communion. I'm gonna pray for us. And I'm gonna invite you while you take the bread and the juice to just simply ask this question of yourself and ask it of God. God, where are you waking me up today? To your kingdom. See, we take the bread and the juice because we declare, Jesus, your king and my life belongs to your kingdom. And here's the power of the Holy Spirit. He's always speaking. And so right now, as I pray for us, begin just to ask and pray that prayer to God. God, where are you waking me up to your kingdom? Or maybe your prayer today is simply this. God, wake me up to your kingdom. Let's pray together. Father, God, we don't want to keep you in a box. Even when we limit you, you are the unlimited God full of grace, full of mercy, full of love, full of forgiveness, full of peace. Father, I pray for those who, God, their hearts and their lives and their minds have just been spinning. Father, disoriented because 
the kingdom they were building. Maybe it's fallen or maybe it's wobbling right now. And boy, Lord, it is overwhelming them. But Jesus, we thank you that today you have come to bring us a kingdom that will never end. And Jesus, you invite us to build for your kingdom. You invite us to live our lives for you. You invite us, God, to give our lives to this, the greatest work, the greatest calling we could ever have. And so, Father, for those who have been wrestling, Lord, I pray that, God, they would get a clear picture of you today. God, of how you're calling us to live. And, Lord, I pray, myself included, that, God, we would wake up to your kingdom. We would wake up to you being our king. And Father, everything in us would serve your purpose and your glory and your name. Father, we declare this as we take communion, that Jesus, you are king. You're king over death. You're king over our sin. You're king over our fear. You are king over this world. Lord, in this moment, help us to join you by your grace. And it's in your name that we pray. And all this said together, amen.